Welcome to Headshots, the psychology and gaming podcast. I am your fearless leader, uh, Kelly, and my co-fearless leader here is Josue Cardona. How's it going? Can we both be fearless leaders? Can we be co-fearless leaders? I, I don't know why not. Okay. No, I'm, I'm okay with that. What are we talking about today? Well, Josue, I'm so glad you asked. This week, we're talking about Hellblade. That doesn't sound... You sound very happy, and that doesn't sound like a very happy name. Uh, it's a, It was... Okay, so disclaimer, I really, really hate horror anything. Horror movies, horror games, haunted houses. Like, I... I feel like I have enough anxiety in my life that I don't need to go out and intentionally seek more more anxiety. So I, I typically tend to avoid the horror genre. But I've heard a lot about this game Hellblade uh, from both game circles and from mental health circles. And I figure, you know, it's almost October. We're getting around to the Halloween time. You know, I, I can try and take a bullet for the team and I'll see if Hostway wants to play Hellblade. And of course, he said yes. So that was very exciting. So that's what we are talking about today. Uh, just a couple of quick disclaimers. One, it's graphic. <laughs> this game is incredibly graphic. So we'll probably be talking about things that uh, may be disturbing. And two, we will be spoiling the game. So if you have an intention of playing and you don't want it spoiled, pause, come back to us. But if not, if you have no intention of playing or you don't really care about spoilers, uh, we're not going to go through the game necessarily, but we're going to talk about important aspects of it. So even if you haven't played or you're not going to play, uh, but you're interested in the psychology um, that was integrated into this game, that's what we're going to be covering on today's podcast. Yeah, so the game is called Hellblade Senua's Sacrifice. It's by Ninja Theory. And again, a lot of people have been talking about it in terms of mental health and also in terms of it being a good game, which are two things that I like to hear in the same sentence. So uh, in, in, in terms of warning, the, the game actually, when it starts off, it says, warning, this game contains representations of psychosis. People with experience of psychosis, as well as professionals in psychiatry have assisted in these depictions. Some may find these depictions disturbing including those who themselves may have had similar experiences. If you would like to find out more about psychosis and mental health difficulties, visit www.hellbladehelp.info. This game also includes violent scenes that some may find disturbing. So that is the warning that you're getting at the beginning of the game. And yeah, it's uh, pretty accurate. And and I, I'm curious, you said you kept saying that this was a horror game. Like to... Did you know that going in or or do you would you would you classify it as such? Have you seen it classified as a horror game? Yeah, I mean I, I read after I finished playing, I read a lot of reviews by, you know, Kotaku or Polygon and just kind of trying to get a sense of what other people experienced it as cuz I had a I had a very specific experience and I was I was trying to kind of wrap my mind around what did I just go through. <laughs> um and yeah, I, I it was widely uh, referred to as a, a horror game, but the kind that's not about jump scares. So for those like myself and our buddy O'Connor, who really hate jump scares, it's not about that. It's more about like existential dread and constant uh, anxiety and fear and, and tension. So yeah, I, I would put it in the horror genre just because I don't I don't really know where else it would it would go. Uh, but I, I think the the number one word that I have used to describe it, and it, even its own intro describes it as, is disturbing. So if you if you don't find the experience, at least part of it, somewhat disturbing, I, I have some questions for you. 
because uh, that that definitely um, to me is the most apt word for describing it. And as far as I know, there's not a disturbing genre of video games. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's a that's an interesting way to put it. Is there a disturbing? There isn't a disturbing genre, but many games are disturbing. Yes. Oh, yeah. This this game. So so really the. I don't know where, where you want to start. But I want to start. I want to start with giving mad props for putting a disclaimer at the start and a link to help. Praise the flying spaghetti monster or whatever you want. Like you, bas- they gave informed consent before the game, and that makes me so incredibly happy. You, you, oh, like that, that's how you know that they did their research and they actually cared about presenting the topic of mental illness in a careful and respectful way. So shout out, mad props, peace. So you mentioned before, like the psychology in the game, and these are just pet peeves of mine, but I hate it when people interchangeably use psychology and mental health, for example, and also mental illness and mental health. And I think that the game does a really, really amazing job of, like it says, listen, we're, we're showing representations of something very specific. And we're we're looking at psychosis, right? And we're looking and, and we're talking about mental health, right? He the the first credit, right? When you're playing the game at first, it starts off with the mental health advisor on the project. Mm-hmm. And he's the first name on the credit. So it I th- I think it shows you how much this this mattered to them and how what type of game you're getting into, or at least or at least where where the team's head is at. One that they're like you said, they they have they've either done research or have people who 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 do research or know the research and are involved because there's so much respect for for mental health and specifically once you once you read more into to how the game was made and and uh, the people involved in it, you see that there was incredible respect for the experience that people have and wanting to represent that faithfully. Did you watch the um, the feature at the mm-hmm. end? Okay, yeah, I, I yep. did too. And that, uh, I'm sure we'll go into that more deeply later, but just to kind of lay the foundation that this team, not only did they consult with uh, psychiatrists and psychologists and experts in the field of mental health, especially around psychosis, they actually brought in people who had experienced and were recovering from psychotic um problems from psychotic disorders. And their experience was integral to the designing of some of the core mechanics and experiences of the game. So again, just a huge um, appreciation from the mental health side for not only wanting to explore the subject, but doing it in a respectful manner and actually going, I'm kind of going to the source to understand, you know, what this experience is like and making sure that it's as, you know, as, truthful to uh, reality as as it can be while still being in a fantasy game world. Yeah. In, in that featurette, in the credits, they, they show mental health advisors. And I believe that those may be the actual people who, who shared their, their experiences. And it wasn't just like a focus group one time, come in, let us know what your experience was like, an interview. No, it was they brought them in and then they took their feedback and then they showed them the progress they had made. And then they tweaked it again based on their feedback, and they tried to make it as authentic as as possible. And that is just, I don't know of any, I've never heard of any game, let alone any other 
medium. And, and I'd, I'd love to hear other examples of this, if, if you have any, where it was the intention seemed to be, and, and after playing, I didn't finish the game and we'll get into that later, but uh, after playing something like this and realizing that the goal of the team seemed to have at some point become, we're going to have the the best representation of these experiences that we possibly can. It wasn't we want to make them fun. It wasn't we want to make them interesting. It's we want them to be authentic. And again, to have those people there to 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 have that goal. I don't know. It's I I think that this game is so so important for that reason. I I can't think of anything else that has ever done something like that. I can't think of anything on the scale of Hellblade. You know, there's a lot of small indie games that are developed um, kind of with the same idea that they want to showcase this particular experience or perspective. And either the person developing the game has that personal experience, or they do go out and kind of gather information about that. But I mean, this was a a multi-year project. And it's, I mean, it's, I mean, I don't know if it qualifies as a triple A game, but it's definitely a, a double A, if, if not not triple. So, but yeah, on people, that people are calling it a triple A indie. <laughs> a triple A indie. Okay, I'll I'll take it. Yeah. I mean, you see this kind of thing happen in, uh, you know, really big games. I, I, the example I'll go to, like I always do, is is Halo. So, for example, they when capturing the sound for the weapons in Halo, they went out to a gun range and they got a 50 cal and they've got a sniper rifle. And, you know, they, they took meticulous care in, in making sure that the, like, the audio experience, uh, at least of, of the Halo universe, is is faithful and impactful and juicy. And They I, took real grunts and punched them in the face and recorded exactly, their reactions. Exactly. They yeah, did. They yeah. did. Confirmed. And so this is kind of like taking that, that meticulous care that that almost obsessive level of of attention to detail and applying it to I think a space that that is worthy of of that attention and and deserves and demands that kind of attention. That's an that's an excellent um, comparison because like movies do this, video games do this, but and and if you it's like if you just see featurettes, right? <laughs> Look at some of the um, documentaries on the making of of the Halo games versus something like this, and you'll see that even though they do want realistic sounds. They, they also want good sounds. So they might mix three different weapons mm-hmm. so that that shotgun sounds, you know, meaty, right? So that it feels good, right? And, and that's not what's going on here, right? They, like, in many games, they, maybe some of them, like probably Call of Duty would be more like, no, we want it to sound authentic. And I know, um, like, the like Gran Turismo and Forza games, like, they, man, they, like, scanned every detail of those cars because they want it to be realistic. And... Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe that's a more uh, like that's probably a better comparison now that I think about it, right? <laughs> that, like that type of car. No, no, it's true because because like Destiny, Halo, these games, they want the stuff to sound fun. They want it to sound. They don't just want it to sound real. Because they want it to sound there a- is authentic, but still satisfying. Exactly. Well, again, it's their their fantasy, and they want them to be. More than right, like it, it's got to be better than like maybe something like Call of Duty, which tries to be more realistic, especially maybe like one set in, in World War Two, right? You don't you you want everything to sound like it did, but to take this kind of care to show something that is that is so hard to like, so few people experience it, and so many people experience it in different ways. To try to capture that, and I don't know. I think one of the most uh, telling things in the in the featurette was when they showed it to some of their advisors, and 
they didn't see anything. Like it got to a point where they didn't see things that were too out of the ordinary, meaning mm. that their their real experience was being represented more accurately. Right. And I I thought that that was so interesting. It's like, yep, nope, that sounds about right. That's exactly what voices sound like. That's exactly what um, pattern recognition in the environment looks like. Yep, yep, that's pretty much, yep, that's that's spot on. I don't see anything wrong with that. <laughs> that's amazing. And one of the examples of of like what we're talking about in different games, one of the things they did here is that they had this, um, I think it was called a binaural microphone. So yes. it looks like two ears, right? And so not a head or anything, just like two ears. So it's supposed to represent like, uh, your position in a space and then the sounds all around you. So they had these actors like representing different voices that, that Senua can hear and they're walking past the voice, walking past the microphone, right? And they come closer and they whisper to it and then they say something else and then they walk away. And it, that that alone, like, so so you see that being recorded, you see the care being put into that, you know that you're getting input from people who have that experience and they're telling you, yep, that's pretty much, that's, that's a pretty good uh, representation of it. And then when you play it, that was so uncomfortable. And that's one of the first things that happens in the game. Like I'm already into the game, but like that that stayed with me and that it made me it made it really really hard for me to play actually. Uh, I'll I'll be completely honest, I refused to wear headphones as was recommended <laughs> by the game for the full experience, at least for probably the first couple hours that I played because I knew it would it might be well that was before I knew there weren't going to be like jump scares and stuff like that um, so I did eventually put headphones in and it does create a very um, eerie experience because it it feels it's like it being in surround sound where you can feel somebody talk, like it's like they're walking behind you like because the sound transfers from you know the left ear to the right ear or dissipates and there's kind of the uh, it, it feels like somebody's right there just just right there in, in your ear and, and talking and having these conversations. And I mean, they, they brought in a sound specialist just for this one thing. So again, just a, another example of the the care they took to accurately represent uh, this, this experience. And so, yeah, I found that super creepy. I mean, it hits you straight out the gate once you start the game. Uh, I've heard a couple of people had to stop <laughs> before even getting to pass that first segment. Um, because the voices were just too, I don't know, either anxiety-inducing or distracting or or upsetting, uh, and yeah, yeah it, I, I like I didn't think I never thought that the game was scary, so that actually surprised me afterwards. How how I found it, um, I would categorize it more like horror, right? Because it, but I didn't expect that going in, not at all. The the imagery being again disturbing. I, I did not expect, and that surprised me. And the voices at the beginning, from the very beginning, right, it's something that it just, it just, I played from headphones from the very beginning, and you're kind of just like on this boat, and you're you're going in, and the voices, like the, the disturbing thing about it, or the, what uncomfortable is the, is the number one feeling that I had, just this discomfort, because not only are the voices coming in and out, and that's, that's actually kind of cool, what what really takes it to the next level is that the voices are telling you different things and they're all talking to you. And then sometimes they talk to each to themselves, like among, amongst themselves. And they're telling you like, oh, that's where you need to go. It's like, no, 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 don't go that way. Go back. It's like, you're going to do fine. No, you're a failure. 
And there's this constant, like you're getting this influx of information that none of it is really helpful necessarily, mm-hmm. or some of it might be, and you don't know if these are, it's not like Navi in Legend of Zelda, right? It's an Ocarina of Time where it's like, okay, go this way, right? No, it's, and it's encouraging you and discouraging you. And it's telling you that you will succeed and that you will fail. And it's that influx of information. Like if that stuff, if that, it's, it's like having two signs, right? Like you come to a crossroads and you have two signs and they're both saying um, this way to success or, or this way to failure, something like that. And then you don't know what to do. But then by having that, the, these aren't visual signs. These are, uh, it's all voice. And, and part of the design that's fascinating is that really it is, I've heard people describe it as a walking simulator. And I think that that's pretty accurate too. There is one path. You can't really get lost. You're always moving forward. And there may be some puzzles and there might be like a few different places to twist and turn, but it's all in a confined space. So you, and you know where the goal is. So you're always kind of moving forward, but the voices completely change that experience because they're not telling you go this way, go right, go left. They're, they're giving you all this information that is uh, not necessary and completely, uh, again, this is my experience as a gamer, uh, just confusing. And then, and then the actual emotional part of it is, is hard to describe, to have all those voices telling you these different things. And it's not just two voices, it's not like an angel and a demon. It's many different voices telling you different things all the time. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that I found most impressive is that the the chatter is pretty much incessant. It, it almost never stops. Um, and I actually noticed that quite a bit when I would stop playing because everything seemed really quiet <laughs> uh, afterwards. But yeah, they're, they're voices and they're saying, you know, one voice. And you can tell them apart. You can tell that they're they're different voices or the same voice but with different inclinations. I'm, I'm not quite sure which, but you know, they're distinct, I guess, is, is what I'm saying. You know, one will say, you know, if you go there, you'll die. And another one says, but she has to. And a third one will chime in, oh, but she's going to fail. And, the, you know, the first one will come back and say, she can't do it. And the second one will go, but she must. You know, she has to save Dillian or, or you know, it's just this constant stream of, of thought that's kind of exhausting, Um when you think about it, telling you all this different information. And, you know, as I, I think this is critical uh, to, to the game because one of the hallmarks of psychosis is, you know, hallucinations and voice hearing is one of the most common ones. So, uh, you know, hallucinations in general is just perceiving stimuli that's not actually present. So whether it's visual and you see something that's not there, auditory, you hear things that aren't there. You can have uh, olfactory hallucinations, which is when you smell things that aren't there, um, tactile. And so every sense you can have a uh, hallucinate an experience that's not there. So they chose, well, I'm going to argue they chose audio. So auditory hallucinations. And that's what you're, what you're hearing is that constant chatter going on those, are, those aren't the only ones though well see that's this is where i i've I, I have a hard time deciding whether she's seeing visual hallucinations or she, it, she's literally just in her own mind so uh, there's i don't think it's a clear one way or the other whether she is actually out in the world seeing things that don't exist or whether she is actually you know maybe sitting in a box somewhere and this entire thing plays out in her brain, in her own mind. So according to the featurette, they they designed the character after this 
um, tribe that had this custom of people who were considered, they wouldn't call them mentally ill, but that's what you know we would say now. And they would go out into the wilderness. They called them gelts? Uh, yeah, yeah, something Gelts. like that. And they would go out and, and into the wilderness to kind of either, you know, to like seek penance because they think that they're being um, tortured and, and they would find answers by going out. And I, it's implied. That's what I understood in the from the featurette that that's exactly what's happening. That's why when it starts, she's on this boat, she's on this quest, but it's a quest of her own making. And she is actually out in the open. That's why you have all the pattern recognition, right? So one of the things that that um, one of the symptoms of, of psychosis is this idea that that things are connected and finding patterns where there really aren't any. And in the game, you come across these gates, and then you can't go through because again, like in in retrospect, I'm I'm we're seeing Senwa believe that she needs to solve a puzzle in order to proceed. And in order for her to proceed, there's these patterns that she sees, and then she looks for them in the world. And the way you find them in the world, they are very... It's like things just lay down in a certain way, and if you look at them from a certain angle, then you you figured it out. You found the pattern, and now, now you're able to proceed. So it, to me, that's another example of something that isn't there at all. And it's... I think she's physically in that location, but all the, everything that we see happening there is in her mind is a hallucination. Ah, uh, see, I have a, I I perceived it <laughs> a, a different way that it the the like the flashbacks are of her in the real world, but her navigating the game space, you know, even that very beginning when when she's on the boat and there's just, you know, skeletons and bodies everywhere. And to me it's it that entire quest takes place in her own mind except for the flashbacks which actually occur in in real space. And I, I think that's kind of the cool thing about this is that we can have this conversation and ultimately it doesn't really matter um, because the, the experience portrayed is authentic. And I think it does really make you question, you know, what is reality? And even if she was just sitting in a box and this was all happening in her mind, who's to say that's not her reality? Because it is. Um, so whether or not it's taking place in the physical world or, or not is kind of kind of moot. And I think that's a really interesting. Well, I don't. I don't think. I don't think it is. I think. I think that. And and I may be wrong that it's actually happening in the real world. But if it were, I think that what they're trying to represent is much more is much more meaningful because they're trying to show you that people like the way that these. If it's just happening in her mind and she's in a box, that is like a very vivid dream. And that experience is very different than someone who's actually going out into the world and seeing things suddenly burst into flames or seeing um, figures where there aren't figures and hearing voices when there are no voices and seeing patterns where there are no patterns. I think, I think there's, a, there's a very big difference between representing one thing versus the other. So again, I don't know, I don't know the answer. I, I know what I think is the answer, but I think it's, it, there's a huge difference. Oh, see, I don't think it matters. <laughs> I, I, I agree there's a difference, but I don't I mean, well, I think that if someone came to for treatment, right, and they said, yeah, I would when not I, have them play I, this game. <laughs> if someone came to you for treatment and they said, oh, well, I'm, you know, I sit I, when I when I sit at home, I suddenly lost in these in these adventures and I see all these scary things and it takes me a while to get out of it and come back versus someone who comes to you and says, yeah, I was walking down the street and all of a sudden I saw um, like one of the examples they gave in the featurette was that someone said that they they saw um, dead bodies hanging and sometimes out of nowhere, and they were so vivid that they tried to save them, but there was nobody there to save. 
mm-hmm. and those are very different things. And oh, like I'm seeing this stuff while I'm while I'm at home, and I'm seeing these things out in the real world. I agree that it matters in that respect, but not for our discussion. That's that's, that's all I'm saying. I'm saying we're probably going to have the same experience, um, despite how we choose to perceive the the way that the game was presented in that way. And I mean, I, I think you're absolutely right. The representation of, you know, pattern seeking. So the second big hallmark of psychosis is delusions. And delusions are uh, beliefs that really have no um, factual basis, but you believe them so deeply that they that they are fact. Um, I remember being told as a clinician, as, as a youngling clinician, that a delusion is an unshakable belief. So that's how you know whether or not it's, you know, something maybe paranoia or, or something um, something else is that delusion is un, unshakable. And so I, I thought it was really clever the way that they used perspective in the game to create these patterns. So the, the patterns are based on Nordic runes. And so you're looking for, you know, very um, angular shapes. And sometimes it takes a lot of perspective uh, movement. So there might be a you know, a stick sticking out of the mud in front of you. And then halfway across the, the field, there's a, a different stick and they cross together to make the, the sign that you saw on the door. And so I thought that was very clever. But I also um, want don't necessarily want to credit the game designers for that, although obviously they deserve lots of credit. Um, but that was one of the things that uh, their, their, um, the people who were sharing their experiences talked about is how they would be able to see things and patterns. And it, I think one person even talked about how sometimes the world just looked like a puzzle and it was shattered and she had to like change how she, uh, change her position in the world to be able to kind of see and, and make things whole again. So credit for the designers for taking the content and applying it into a game space because that's incredibly difficult to do, but also um, you know huge credit to the people who had these experiences um, and were able to convey them in such a way that they were able to be captured in the game space. Yeah, and and again, it makes sense that you, you they create these obstacles for themselves, or or Senwa is creating this obstacle for herself, which is that she and there needs to be an answer somewhere, and she essentially creates a problem and a solution all in one go, and then and that's what we're playing through. And one of the things that is evident more and more is that if all of this is if none of this is real, then how do how do I frame this? Like we we've talked about how if it's your experience, then it's real, right? If it, if you're if it's in your brain, if it's happening to you, then it is real, even if no one else can see it or hear it or feel it. And so in in her situation, all of this is real for her. Like she cannot possibly move forward. Like in the in a real world scenario, right? And if we were talking about I don't know some sort of treatment, or if you had support, if you had help. When she came up against one of these barriers, we would be like, "No, you could just, you could just, you could just open the door. You could just walk through, right?" But that's not her experience. Her experience is so far from that because she believes that she needs to match this pattern that she that she somehow picked up to, in order to proceed. Mm-hmm. And it's it's that it's the game, like like you said, taking these real life experiences, making them into a game mechanic, and then having us play through them. But I, I couldn't stop thinking of how I don't know, this is something that, that that just wouldn't leave me, the idea that just these things aren't in a game nothing is real, right? <laughs> and but 
her feeling, I don't know, like you feel so close to Senra because not only like you hear she speaks to you, right? I've, and I don't know if you if this is answered um, later in the game or, if, or or not, but at the very beginning, you hear these voices and all of a sudden she looks at you like if, right? Like if you're one of the voices that she can hear. So it's almost like if you are a part of this experience coming along with her, but it's very much her experience. And we see so much of what she's going through that I feel, I feel for her and I feel for her so much. And it's hard for me to see her suffering throughout the game knowing that those things aren't really there even within the story of the of the game because it is i don't know it's like it's heartbreaking for me huh so yeah. i while i was playing i was trying to keep my psychologist hat on but i failed <laughs> pretty miserably at that um i mean yeah i i feel like i was connected to senua but i didn't have that shared experience of feeling bad but that my guess is probably because i was so scared the entire time that it was really hard to offer any empathy to anybody else uh when i'm kind of using up all of my own reserves uh because i i kept something expecting something terrible to happen and i think a key part of that um and this is something that we we actually discussed before the show is this idea that well th- that i played the game differently after i found out a piece of information um, and so I think that really colored how I experienced the game. So which piece of information? When and near the start of the game, you fight an enemy and you you lose. There's no way to win, and Senua gets uh, what they call rot that starts on her hand. So her hand starts turning black. It reminded me of like gangrene or something. And you're told that every time you fail, so you lose or or. Uh, lose a battle or die or whatever, that the rot will move up your arm. And if it gets to your head, it's permadeath. So you lose all your save data and and all of that. And that terrified me because I discovered that I'm terrible at the game. Uh, Although I do feel better after reading a lot of reviews, which I'll I'll get to in a second. Um, But yeah, so I had this like terror in in my soul that I would fail so much that I wouldn't be able to complete the game. And not only is that a shitty feeling in general, but I was like, I have to finish this game because Jose and I are going to talk about it. So I really need to finish this game. And then I shared that with with some of the people in the Geek Therapy Network. And they're like, yeah, we're pretty sure it's not real. It's actually just a a mechanic to make you experience the game differently. And every single review I read, none of that came up. They all mentioned how the permadeath mechanic seemed really brutal and it heightened their anxiety and it made the game more intense for them, but nobody actually posited that it wasn't real. And I will say I have died enough times in that game that if there was some kind of cap, I'm sure I would have reached it. So I am I am on the boat with that. But I did notice that I played the game very differently. So one thing I never, ever do, I never do walkthroughs. I never do tutorials. I'm like, no, I'm going to do it. I'm going to figure it out myself. When I thought that there was a permadeath looming over my head, I went to, <laughs> I went to tutorials. I found uh, different ways to make sure that I was taking, you know, if I tried something and I died, I would go and look up, okay, what's the right path to take? Because I don't want to keep dying because there's this horrible thing that's going to happen to me. And, you know, looking back on it now, that is such... I would imagine that's something that that's an experience that somebody suffering from a psychotic illness or even uh, probably a variety of mental illnesses experiences that 
I have to do it this way or something bad is going to happen to me. I have to do these things I normally wouldn't do just to survive, just to get to the end. Um, And so I thought that was really powerful. This is fascinating because you actually said, I have to finish this game because I'm going to record with Josue. <laughs> I did. I told that. That's what I was telling myself. Okay. And, and that's not true. You didn't have to finish the game because there was no, like, what's the worst that could possibly happen, right? So that's not real. That's an irrational, uh, it's, a, it's a fear that you created. There's a fear of something. There's some sort of threat that you perceived that is... You probably exaggerated because the consequences would be nowhere near uh, harsh enough to make you, to force you to actually do it. But it was for you. Like you felt pressure to, to do that. And so like, I think this is like their crowning achievement. They made that into a game mechanic. I, fe- yeah. I feel like I would love to see that meeting where they're like, you know, be really cool if you could make them scared of something that just isn't real. It's like, but the whole game is that. No, no, no. Something else, like something that feels real. What if you tell them? <laughs> Yeah, that if they die enough times, you don't tell them how many, because you don't want, you don't want specific information. You got to leave it vague. That's that's how this works. And then they're afraid that they're going to lose all the progress, but they never will. Yeah, they're, okay, they're so afraid I, they're going to lose everything, even though they won't. Yeah. And um, so the discussions when the game came again, the game has been out as if we're recording this for about a month, maybe a little over a month. And at first, people were reacting to that. They started playing. They're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. So I, I saw many, many discussions about this. And it, it was kind of a consensus that's like, yeah, that's not, that's not true. That's not true at all, which is genius, right? So that's why a lot of these reviews um, probably didn't, weren't involved in those early conversations. They probably happened before those conversations happened, right before release. So once you see that this is what's happening, I think, again, I understand why people were mad. They thought that, that, was, that that's unfair, and yeah, that's how we feel. And, and it's not, it's not, um, that's, that's the just point. anxiety. And that's just anxiety, <laughs> yeah. right? When people feel anxious, they feel you're afraid of something. There's a threat. There's an imminent threat. The threat of losing everything is too much. And I, so you start playing differently and you start playing, like you weren't relaxed when you were playing, right? The irony is oh, no. if you would have been relaxed, you would have died less. I don't know. I was pretty bad. <sighs> Like I, I even bumped the difficulty, uh, the fight difficulty down to easy, and I was still bad, and I still died plenty. Um, oh yeah, I'm, 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 I put everything on easy pretty much to, to start. Um, but yeah, but I think I think that that is just amazing. It's just like a one more layer on top of what they were trying to do because. Sure, they want you to feel all of these different things, and there it's like, how can we make somebody actually feel anxiety? How can we actually make them feel afraid? And I can't think of a better way to do it. I, I just, and actually, actually, so we've talked about Eternal Darkness in the past, which is a game by Silicon Knights. And they used to have these, uh, it was called an insanity meter. And when your insanity meter was very high, the game would do things like, it looked like the game reset and, and like, like the game or suddenly lost your reset. Data. Yeah. And you st- and you went to the beginning and there was no, and it was like, start new game. And you're really far into the game. And it was, when that happened, I was so angry. And then, <laughs> and then, and then all of a sudden it like just flashes back and like the uh, screen looks a little distorted and you're like, what just, and the, the character's voice is like, what was that? You know? And it's, it's one of those things that was really scary, but it just happened. It wasn't the, there wasn't a threat of it happening. So it was really anger that it, that it incited and not fear because after it came back, you knew that it wasn't actually going to happen. But by, by having the permadeath and, ha- and seeing the rot getting closer every time you die, because it does grow, 
but never having it actually get there is like the worst kind of fear. The one where you sometimes you're so afraid of something, you just want it to happen already because the fear of it is way worse. Than it actually happening, yeah. And it doesn't happen. Hopefully you finish the game before <laughs> that happens, right? Hopefully nobody is like stuck in this endless loop of just dying in the game and never reaching the end. Oh, yeah, man, I, it is so such a smart use of of just everything. <laughs> so that, I mean, that's that's the idea of, you know, when I mentioned earlier, this, the psychology involved in Hellblade, like that is the psychology, uh, the, the player psychology, the design psychology that's going on in the, in the background is, you know, how do you evoke these experiences? And I think that Hellblade did it really masterfully. Um, I mean, the voices is one that we talked about. The matching the runes is another, like the frustration. Oh my gosh, I got so frustrated trying to find the stupid pattern. I got, And I can only imagine how frustrating it would be if that's what it was like in real life, where I'm convinced that there is this thing that I need to find and I can't find it. Uh, another design thing that they did was there was there's no heads up display. There's absolutely no feedback in the game in terms of you know proximity meter or health meter. It's just it's it's just not there. Pretty much the the biggest amount of feedback you get are the voices, which are not always helpful and quite uh, quite frequently are are very unhelpful. Um, and then there's, sometimes there are game mechanics, uh, like when you get close to solving one of the puzzles, you're in the right location, you'll see glowing runes um, saying basically, hey, you're close, uh, take take a look around here, you're close. So I appreciated that. But the other thing that I, I, I really found kind of shocking first as a, as a game player uh, was that there was no battle tutorial. And I walked into the space and thought, hey, this looks like a battle of, re- oh, there's a bad guy. How, what? oh my god what do i do so not only i I, at first i thought it was because i was using um a pc and i never game on pcs and so i thought i was just sucking because i didn't know the buttons or my fingers didn't have the muscle memory to you know they're trying to find triggers and all our our keys Uh, but yeah no that was something that was a really broad experience for everybody who played is the initial frustration uh, and surprise of finding yourself in an encounter where you know that you're supposed to do something, but you don't know how to do it, which, again, is another um, very common experience for someone experiencing a mental illness that, you know, there's a thing to do and you know you need to do the thing or something bad's going to happen, but you might not actually know how to do the thing. So I actually stopped and paused and totally, I guess, totally cheated and went in and looked at the controller layout and remapped my buttons and stuff. Once I got my, my I switched over to a controller and, and did that. And yeah, there's no warning. There's no heads up. There's... You just, you just have to react, um, which so I thought that was another really interesting uh, design decision to kind of keep the player in uh, the frame of mind of Senua because you know in, in real life you don't get a heads up display, you don't get a warning, you don't get a tutorial on how to do something. You just have to kind of do it. And that, like you said, that first fighting encounter, you're you have to lose it. Like you you will lose it. There's no there's no win state for that first fight. So not only are you struggling, but you're going to fail, even if you figured out all the buttons. Yeah, that's always a good... And it's it's so counterintuitive to everything like good game design tells you. Like, make sure you give the player plenty of feedback and make sure that there's no no-win situations. And Hellblade's like, whatevs. We're going to okay. do what we want. and But it, it, it works for them because that's the point. Like the, the point of playing the game is to feel frustrated, to feel alone, to feel anxious and, and scared and unsure of what is real and what is not. That is, that is the 
the driving goal behind it, which is why they can get away with those kinds of things. And that's exactly why I ultimately didn't enjoy the game. And oh, why... I didn't enjoy it either. I, I mean, yeah. I, I wanted to play, but it was not something I enjoyed, as, as contradictory as that is. Yeah, well, I didn't want to continue playing, and I didn't. I got to a point where I was like, you know what? This is too uncomfortable. This is, I, I don't like this, and I'm, I'm not going to play anymore. I think that the game is, I think that the game is fascinating. I think that the, what the team did is incredible. It is one of the most beautiful games. Oh God, it's visually stunning. Yeah, like it. Like I'm playing on a 720 small TV, and it is, it is. It looks incredible, and she looks so realistic. Everything, like every one of her movements, is just so real, which I think adds to the. Yeah, they did mocap. Yeah, she is mocap, but a lot of games are mocap, and they don't look like this good, you know. Um, her facial features, her expressions, the movement, like things like just shuffling from one side to the other, the way she walks, everything looks incredible, and she looks incredible. Like she looks, she looks real. She looks like a real person. And those moments when you're like really up close to her, like even even in the menu screen, that photo, and just like her yeah. eyes are really big, and you're so close. There's something about that you feel really connected to her. And again, like not only was it uncomfortable for me, I think. Like for me, but it was uncomfortable for me. Like I said, I, uh, for me, it was heartbreaking. Like I didn't want to see Senua going through this because I never felt at any point, and maybe you do feel that later, but I didn't feel like she was actually getting anything good, you know? Like I didn't feel like she was progressing toward, like she was like achieving any any smaller goals that were advancing her and making her better in any way even even feeling better and i know that the one the goal that she has and and i don't know what happens when when she gets there but i i just didn't feel good it's like oh we're gonna go forward and we're gonna relive some of your past traumas hey we're gonna go forward and we're just gonna remember all the horrible things that happened to you we're gonna go forward let's suffer a little more you know and it's this like twisted version of like you remember uh um Tomb Raider, where the new Tomb Raider came out, um, there were all these uh, like montages of the, all the gruesome ways that Lara could yeah. could die, and and it's like it to me, it's like that, but in a mental health scenario where she's suffering and she's being tortured in the worst way possible, and and then and I don't know, I think because they made me care about her so much so early on, or at least see her as a real person and not just like a character in the game. Um, it was hard for me to see that. So I didn't, I wasn't even encouraged enough to go see, see, see it to the end to see like, to see if she got a happy ending. I didn't, well, my I don't curiosity. think she would. <laughs> because I mean, at the beginning, there are many times where I'm thinking, well, she may even be dead from the very beginning. You know, she may not even be alive at all. Like this may all be um, like the uh, an interpretation of hell is you know um, like when you die this hell is this thing that you've created for yourself. So I thought that there might be some of that because literally you are going into hell. So and and none of that is clear, right? Like it could be that it's all hallucinations in the real world. It could be that she she died and this is her like redemption story or something after death. Is that is that cleared up at the end? You don't have to you don't have to tell me specifics. Um, I didn't find the end particularly satisfying. Okay. See, that's even worse. But, (laughs) but I, I guess it's as positive an ending as you could expect from the game. That makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. (laughs) So at the end, I was kind of like, what, what? Um, 
okay, let me go look up what other people are saying about this. Um, so it isn't like all dread and despair and awful stuff. And there are some really, really fun fight scenes at the end um, when you do actually do get to Helheim and you do face Hel- uh, Hela. But so, yeah. so that's another whole other thing. The the fighting, like you said that all these things, like it's like good game design. They're not doing that. And I don't feel the fighting is horrible in the game. Like the actual fighting mechanics are, I don't, I don't think they're good at all. They're, they're not fun. They're not satisfying. They're repetitive. There's like, there's so many things about this game it was just not fun to play at all. It was not fun to play I don't, at all. I don't think it was supposed to be fun to play. And that's kind of this really interesting idea around if you're making a game that has impact or purpose or is tackling a specific issue and you're trying to get across a particular experience, enjoyment and fun is not inherent. Like games don't have to be fun. There's the idea of hard play or, you know, wanting to experience something so different from yourself. So, I mean, again, I didn't have fun playing it. It was not an enjoyable experience, but it's something that I'm glad I did. I'm glad I persevered. Um, and I, I feel like I what, I don't even know how to, how to phrase it because I enjoyed the experience of, of the story. I enjoyed the journey, but not necessarily the experience, if that makes sense any sense at all. I I don't even know. Again, I finished it last night. I'm still kind of pulling my uh, pulling my mind together. But for me, it was more of a, a curiosity. Like I, I want to know, I need to know how this resolves. I need, I need to know what happens next. So for me, it was very much the, um, the story that kept me going forward. Like I, I, I wanted to understand what was happening because I was so confused through like 80% of the game. Um, and in an interactive medium like this, you would want, like you you need to progress from one point to the next. And they put these fight scenes in the middle, which were, I, I agree with some of the reviews I've read, like you should have just taken that out. There's no, They had no place. They don't really have, like in this entire representation, uh, this entire discussion of representation of either a mental health uh, symptom or some kind of behavior that we want to represent, and uh, the the fighting doesn't doesn't feed any of that and 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 that's what i mean like if i if i get to a point and i want to know what's next in the story and the cost to do that is those fight scenes that are not not only like not only just not fun but there's no you don't feel like oh look i i suddenly have skill right it's like if you just bash that oh i got skill i got there if you just bash that uh that uh what's it called the like um what circle do the 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 dodge right? Just dodge mm-hmm. a lot, hit, dodge a lot, hit, dodge a lot, hit. I don't know. Maybe maybe you did feel like there was a skill cap. I didn't get to that point where I was like. But I mean, I felt like the the fights weren't hard, but they weren't. I don't know. They just it, it, they felt very out of place to me. So the, and the, something that was ultimately so beautiful. The best conceptualization that I read was the fights were a palate cleanser. So they were almost. Uh, a way of breaking up the walk simulator and the the puzzle solving. Like here's just something different to pivot your brain to give you a different experience. Um, so one, I most of the battles I was okay with. Uh, I, I learned how to do combos. I figured out which maneuvers were most uh, effective on which enemies. So I didn't necessarily enjoy 
the battle situations, but especially when I thought that if I died, I could lose all my saves, they became very, very important in that guise because this battle now might determine whether or not all my data gets erased or whether I progress. So from that frame, I think they were they were helpful. Um, I, of course, always enjoy a little bit of combat. Some of them, to me, seemed too difficult. There's a, there's a, a wave that happens on the bridge uh, right before you get to Helheim. And I, I almost quit. I probably did that same fight 20, 30 times over because I just I couldn't get through it. And obviously, I finally did. Um, but that was probably the closest I came to, <laughs> to rage quitting and, and walking away. I think the game would still be fine with maybe just like the boss battles, because that to me was satisfying, like going into uh, Surt's lair, the fire god's lair and defeating Surt and going into, I don't remember the god of illusion, but like actually battling the god of illusion. To me, that felt really good. Um, but the the mini the mini battles to me weren't I, I could take or leave. I think the story is fantastic. I think the interpretation of history, right, of um, Nordic myth, and putting them put that all together into this story, like the story, I think it works, right? Um, I don't know. There's so much. There's so much amazing stuff about this game, and but I can't. I don't. I don't know if I can. I don't know if I would recommend anybody to play it. I think I think that if you, I, I would definitely tell people to check out their YouTube channel, which has the like how they made the game because that is that is incredible. Like that Absolutely. that for me has been more fun than than the game. And the game is like this. I can't believe that this thing exists. I can't believe that somebody went through the trouble of making this. And I want more people to go through the trouble of making something like this. I think we need more games like this. That well, that's a hard sell. If it, you want more games like this that you don't want to play, <laughs> yeah, that is no. a hard sell, my friend. See, but um, I do understand that it's getting a lot of really positive reviews, and that I don't, I, I don't, I can't read people's minds, right? Exactly why, like a consensus. I mean, you can read the reviews and see why they think that the game is good, but I don't. I, I personally can't recommend it, and I and I wouldn't. But I think that people should check it out. I think that people should watch Let's Plays. I think people should look at the documentaries. I think people should. I, th- I it's weird. I think people should definitely try it. But I don't think people should like. You have to play this game and get to the end. I think people should experience it, and and I would love to hear from people who love the game and really enjoy it and would go through it a second time, for example, or bump up the difficulty. I don't know. I would like to hear those experiences, because because those are those are just. Not not mine. I think my recommendation would depend on the purpose. So if you're looking for a horror game to have fun with, this is not it. If you're looking for fun in general, this is this is not it. Um, but if, for example, if I were to design the curriculum for a class around designing games with purpose and meaning, I would absolutely assign this game. Obviously, with a cop out. Um, so, if you don't want to go through that trauma, you obviously don't have to, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, you know, ethics. But I mean, just the, the the to me as the academic scholar, the integration of like very fluffy, ambiguous, non concrete things like hallucinations and the the experience of psychotic episodes are being turned into concrete code 
is fascinating. And and yeah. I would totally so if if you're interested in that, I would recommend the game. Um but again, not not if you're looking for a lulzy way to spend, you know, eight to twelve hours. <laughs> um I I don't think uh it's right for you. But I, I do think that if you're interested in how games can represent mental health um in a way that's respectful and um faithful to the source i think it's a really good exploration of that i also think it's important to point out that hellblade the the intent to me the intent is not to teach about mental illness it's not to necessarily educate or raise awareness but it it's much more of an experiential game so it's not like this is psychosis and this is what happens and here i'm going to give you a quiz about what this means I do think it has the potential to evoke empathy or at least give somebody a, a, some kind of common ground to understand, even just a glean an understanding of what someone with a psychotic disorder or any kind of psychosis is dealing with. But ultimately, it for me was more about how do you convey this kind of intimate personal experience into a game that other people can also go and experience and have an intimate experience with. To me, that that's just absolutely, absolutely fascinating. And in that respect, I think Hellblade knocks it out of the park. Yeah, I think it's one of the most important games in years, I think, for a number of reasons. Yeah. Ooh, man. Anything else? I, I think we covered what we needed to cover. If anybody wants to discuss the ending since Josue... Didn't make it there. I'm your girl. I powered through. Hoorah. And that's actually what it really felt like was powering through. <laughs> uh, but I had to know. I had to know uh, in the end and what happened. And I, I do have to ask, Josue, did you get to the point uh, where you had to navigate the level in pitch black? No. Ah! Okay. So just real quick, one of the trials that you have to go through, one of the trials of Odin uh, to get the to get grammar, which is Odin's sword, the the sword that can slay gods, is a level that's pretty much entirely pitch black. And the only way to navigate the space is by listening with your with your ears, you know, like listening for water and navigating that way and by uh the the rumble pack in your controller and if you're going the right way your your pack will rumble and that's all you get you can't see anything except except for the creepy monsters that are really vague and crawling around and if they get too close you die so yeah it's this oh my god i that was another place i almost stopped i guess i almost stopped in a couple places that sounds incredible it was terrifying absolutely awful and and terrifying and my like i'm getting goosebumps and my skin is crawling just thinking about going through it again especially when i considered what good is a it's a walkthrough gonna do me i can't see anything <laughs> oh it was awful and i hated it i hated it but it was so cool but i hated it but it was cool yeah that sounds incredible but uh, i can't even play gone home without going through the, the whole house and turning on all the lights so there's no way, <laughs> no way I would have spent more than 30 seconds on that. I don't, I, even play, I don't even play certain video games um, like at night. I, get I could so only out. play at night. I could only play at night after the baby had gone to bed. So I'm literally no. playing this terrifying game in the dark. And I'm, oh my gosh, it was an experience, but I'm so, I'm so proud of me. I got through it 
and I I guess on some level I I enjoyed the the journey. I'm glad I did it, but I don't know if I'll I don't know if I would play it again. <laughs> I don't I don't think I would. <laughs> it's a fascinating game. Again, I just think I just think the game is really like it matters. You know, like we're gonna be talking about this game for a number of reasons for a really long time. It's going gonna, it's gonna to fall on that list of games that we're going to have to go, th- go back to and reference all the time because people, like, when is somebody going to put in the effort and make something as positive in the sense of representation or, or, or care or respect as this game? It's going gonna, it's gonna to be years before, well, before something like this happens again. Actually, our next in-depth game dive into Town of Light is a game that did something very, very similar. Took a lot of care and a lot of respect. So I can't wait to dive into that uh, two weeks from now, I think. We'll see. We'll see how they do. <laughs> For past episodes of Headshots, visit headshotspodcast.com. We're on Twitter at headshotscast. Headshots is part of the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. Join the Geek Therapy group on Facebook if you want to chat with people who care about psychology and mental health and video games. And, and Hellblade. Come talk to me about Hellblade. I'm all alone. And Hellblade. Yeah. Yep. Tell me tell me the end because I don't want to play it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I can give you the spoilers after the cast. Sounds good. Sounds good. All right. So we'll, back, we'll be back in two weeks. You've just listened to Headshots on the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. For more about Geek Therapy and our other podcasts, visit geektherapy.com.